Hey folks, Andy Patton here. Today is Thursday, so another episode discussing listener-submitted hot takes, plenty of discussion about Gonzaga's upcoming game against Texas Tech, and some more discussion about how the WCC is going to fare in March. All right here, Locked on Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from Score Zag Score, taking over here at Locked On and ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. I also want to thank all of you who make this show your first listen of the day, and those of you who make this your first watch of the day on YouTube. Hit up that YouTube channel if you have not already, whether you are somebody who watches the show or somebody who just listens on the podcast, hit that subscribe button for me. Do me a solid. I would really appreciate it. We did get over 200 subscribers, so we are on our way. The next goal is 250. Would love to get there before we start conference play. Would love to be over 300 by the time we hit 2022. So please, 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 if you haven't yet, go hit that subscribe button. I really appreciate it. All right, Andy Locks, once again for Thursday, grading listener submitted hot takes. Not a ton of takes this week, which is understandable considering the Zags have not played in a really long time. It's been a long break. It feels like one of the longest times in between games in Gonzaga history just because of the cancellation of the UW game. But we still got some great takes, some fun stuff to discuss. We're going to start here with this take from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says the Zags will be down at halftime against Texas Tech. In saying that, unlike Duke or Alabama, they will come out on top. Great. I love this take. I think this is just right. I think it's very realistic, plausible that this happens. Texas Tech is good. I think that we'll start there. They're a good, talented program. They just snuck their way into the AP Top 25. They're 8-1 and on the season, have a handful of quality wins. More than that, they match up well with Gonzaga. We know the recipe for how to beat Gonzaga at this point. I talked about it a lot on WCC Wednesday when discussing Gonzaga's struggles and kind of what those teams in particular, BYU, St. Mary's and San Francisco, what they could do to beat Gonzaga. And the recipe is really big physical guards, a strong interior post presence, not turning the ball over very much and going out and getting what you want offensively. Tech can do all of those things. They're well coached. They have a lot of talented players. Now they are dealing with some injuries, some players who may not end up suiting up in this game. That could be a significant part of this story. It's unfortunate you never want to win a game in part because the other team isn't fully healthy. That's never fun. Plus, this is just going to be a good basketball game. So the less healthy they are, the less fun the game is, even if it does potentially make things a little bit easier for the Zags in general. Um, I think we're talking about a team that's going to be having a 9, 10-day layover. They're not going to have played in a long time. It's a 10 a.m. start. Not something that's being discussed all that often, but that's not easy. This team is used to playing games that start at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Pacific time. Now, Texas Tech, obviously, is the same disadvantage, but for them, they are coming from the East Coast, so it will feel a little bit later to them than it will for the Zags. It'll feel pretty darn early in the morning. So it would not surprise me, based on the long layover, based on the 
early start time based on the fact that Gonzaga has started a lot of games recently out slowly. They they began the year kind of starting out on fire. Obviously, UCLA was the best example of that. But even in some other games, they came out cooking. And in the last few games, that hasn't been the case at all. They've come out very slow. They've kind of let the other team dictate the offense and defense before they kind of figured out a way to react to that. Against Duke and Alabama, they didn't react quick enough. And while they made comebacks in the second half, they were not enough. I think it's entirely possible that we see this game go a similar direction where they get off to a slow start. Tech is able to kind of do what they want offensively, force some turnovers defensively. We're going to be on the edge of our seats a little anxious because we've seen this story play out in two of Gonzaga's last three games. But I think, or I hope at least, that Gonzaga will make the adjustments. They're a more talented roster. Even though Texas Tech is good, Gonzaga is better. And if they make those adjustments, they figure out how to get the ball effectively to their best scoring players. They shoot it a little better from beyond the arc. They limit the turnovers. They should win this game. Would not surprise me if they're losing at halftime and they make a comeback in the second half. And instead of falling short, like they did against Bama and Duke, they end up coming out and pulling this victory off. So I think this is not only a great hot take, I think this is probably the way that I foresee this game going is very similar to this take from Jacob here. Next one here comes from EA Stone 17 That's Eric Stoneburner on Twitter. He says the Zags will lose two more games on their road to their first national championship. Well, I love it every single time, and I hope every week for the rest of the year at least one person submits a take saying they want they, they believe the Zags are going to win the national championship because I'm never going to say that that's too hot. I think that's just right. The Zags are and still are still very much in the conversation as one of the teams favored to win the national championship. They're not the AP number one ranked team anymore. That's Baylor, of course, and most of you are aware of that. Of course, you know, Purdue's in that conversation, Kansas is in that conversation, Duke, Alabama, they're all in that conversation. But it's not crazy to expect or to believe that Gonzaga is going to win the national championship or is a front runner for that. Losing two more games, I find that believable. I think that's a reasonable amount. Uh, it's going to be tough. How the Tech game goes determines this a lot. If Gonzaga loses to Texas Tech, this is their best non-conference game remaining by a pretty considerable amount. If they lose this game, that means they only have one more loss for this prediction to come true between two games against BYU, two games against St. Mary's, two games against USF, and then two more games probably against those some of, some combination of those three teams when they play in the WCC tournament. These teams are good. WCC Wednesday, we covered all of it. These are three very good teams, three legitimate NCAA tournament hopefuls. So for the Zags to go 7-1 and one against those teams is tough. 6-2 and two feels more believable, but for that to be the case, they need to A, not lose to anybody else in the WCC, which frankly is pretty possible. The rest of the conference is not great, not up to the level that we would like for them to be, at least, and Gonzaga shouldn't have trouble with them. And then they have to beat Texas Tech, which again, I also believe is... Very believable, quite likely, in fact. But so two two losses, national championship. I love it. I'm totally sold. I'm gonna say it's just right. It's probably a little too hot, but I can never I can never go against a prediction for the Zags winning the national championship. Next question, or excuse me, next hot take comes from Christian via Gmail. He says the Zags return to the number one ranking before the big dance. So yeah, again, really dependent on this weekend. If the Zags lose to tech, yes, they're three not bad losses. Duke, Alabama, Texas Tech. If, if if the Zags lose to Tech, Tech becomes a top 20 team. So your three losses are to three top 20 teams in the country. 
that's not horrible. It's not cause for incredible distress, depending on how the game goes, I suppose. But if they lose a hard-fought game to Tech, it's I'm not going to be panicked, but I would be pretty surprised if they ever get back to number one. Three loss Gonzaga when the rest of their schedule is conference is really tough sell for the number one ranking. Other teams would have to really struggle. It'd have to be back like 2013 when nobody wanted to be ranked number one. Like everybody was constantly losing when they got up there. If Gonzaga beats Texas Tech, the odds of them at some point overtaking the number one ranking become much better, much better. They wouldn't. They probably wouldn't take it right away unless Baylor loses to Oregon, which is, I suppose, possible. Although if any of you have watched Oregon games this year, it doesn't seem that possible for that to happen. But even if Baylor loses to Oregon and Gonzaga beats Tech, they won't be number one right away. I think that'll still go to some combination of Purdue. Maybe Bama even takes it over. Well, no, Bama just lost. So not Bama. Somebody else will take over number one. But eventually, there's a pretty good chance the Zags take that spot over. They got to win on Saturday in Phoenix against the Red Raiders first, though. Last question for this first segment. Arizona will be the number one seed in the West, and Gonzaga will be the number two seed. They will ultimately be the last two teams standing in the West, and they will play each other for the right to go to the Final Four. So yeah, any prediction that's this specific, I'm probably going to label it too hot just because it's hard to know. Uh, I think Arizona's great. Uh, Obviously, I love Tommy Lloyd. Uh, I know there's been some kind of consternation among the Gonzaga fan base of how do we how do we feel how do we root in this situation? We love Tommy, we love Umar Balo, we don't like Arizona. We've had our beefs with Arizona dating back to 2002. So like, what do we do? Um, I a I can't tell you how to root root however you want to root. I'm rooting for Tommy Lloyd, so I'm happy to see Arizona good. I think it's better when the West Coast is good at basketball, and right now there's a lot of really good West Coast basketball teams. Obviously Gonzaga, but as but you also have UCLA, USC, Arizona are all good. BYU has struggled lately, but they're still good. St. Mary's is good. San Francisco is good. Like it's it's a nice time to be rooting for West Coast basketball, and Arizona is a huge part of that. Having said that, they have a three game stretch coming up where they play Tennessee, UCLA, and USC. That will determine how I feel about the Wildcats. If they win all three of those games, then yeah, they are probably going to be the number one ranked team in the country, or at worst case, the second ranked team in the country if Baylor hasn't lost by then. Um, They will be, you know, they'll have defeated multiple really excellent teams. So yeah, at that point, I'd say, okay, Gonzaga has virtually no chance of catching them unless they really struggle in conference play, which would be unlikely if they've already taken victories from USC and UCLA. But if they go one and two in that stretch, which I think is very believable, if they go two and one even, it makes it a little bit more more difficult to, to judge. Right now, Gonzaga has wins over UCLA and Texas. I value that higher than Arizona's two biggest wins, which are Michigan and Illinois. Michigan has really struggled. Illinois is a good team, but I don't think those wins equate to Gonzaga's wins over UCLA and Texas. A lot of now, obviously, Arizona has not lost. That's a significant factor. They haven't played anybody else outside of Michigan and Illinois, that they really didn't have any business beating. You know, they beat Wyoming. Wyoming was undefeated going into that game, but that was a bit of a red herring. So I, I don't think that Arizona's resume is as impressive as some people are making it out to be. That said, they are very good. I still believe that they're good. I don't think their resume is lying necessarily. I don't think that they're like secretly not that good and they're just getting by. I think they're really good. And I think they'll prove it when they get tested against some really high quality opponents, which is coming up in a few weeks. But I'm not sold right now that they're definitively better than Gonzaga. I think they're 
really comparable. The two rosters are very, very good, and they're obviously both really well-coached teams. So I think they're very, very close. I think I don't think Arizona's going to get through the Pac-12 and this three-game stretch without four, three or th- three losses would be great. If the Wildcats get through here with three losses, that would be an incredible jaw-dropping season from Tommy Lloyd. More likely, they'll have four or five. They have four or five losses, and Gonzaga only loses one or two more games. I don't think they're going to be the number one seed over them. I think Gonzaga is still going to be that number one seed. Regardless, though, I think they're the top two teams in the West. With with respect to UCLA and USC, who are both really good and are going to be high-ranked seeds as well, with respect, I think there's a very good chance that Gonzaga and Arizona, if they don't falter in March, will play each other in the Elite Eight with a chance to go to the Final Four. I don't think that that's a crazy prediction at all. I think that's just right. I'm just not sold that Arizona is... I'm not ready to crown Arizona the number one seed in the West over Gonzaga just yet. All right, segment one down. Coming back in segment two, we're going to grade even more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. Head to netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one cloud financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking listener-submitted hot takes for Andy Locks. Our play on Goldilocks, are these takes too hot, too cold, or just right? Next one here, we're just going to get right into it. This one comes from Nathan underscore Nation on Twitter, who says, Rasir Bolton is the X factor against Texas Tech, using his Big 12 experience to help the Zags exploit matchups. Yeah, I think this is just right. I think this is I think if Gonzaga wins against Texas Tech, part of the reason why will be Brasier Bolton having a good game. I think he is an X factor in a lot of ways. He's been an X factor for this team kind of throughout the season. Uh, if you look at, you know, Andrew Nempart is often the player who gets faulted for Gonzaga's struggles and and praised for their successes and there's a reason for that. Obviously, he was excellent against UCLA, and then he was bad against Alabama. So it's kind of easy to be like, well, it's sort of his fault. <laughs> and it's never one player's fault for a loss in, in a lot of ways. But but Bolton's trajectory has been somewhat similar. And he's been he's been at his best when Gonzaga wins. And he's kind of struggled against some of those teams that, that have given Gonzaga some trouble. Now, he does have experience. I don't know that Big 12 experience is so specifically relevant but I think big game experience, I think playing against some of these more physical opponents, having experience against just just having played a lot of basketball against teams that aren't in the WCC, 
Obviously, this all applies to Andrew Nembhard as well, who spent two years in the SEC with Florida before he came to Gonzaga. So they both have that experience. It hasn't served them incredibly well in the last couple of games. We've seen them struggle. We've seen them be a little deferential and trying to get rid of the basketball instead of looking for their own shots. If Rasir Bolton is the aggressive, attacking the rim type player that we saw early in the season, if that three-point shot, which has gone away from him the last few games, when it was really critical to this team early in the season, he was similar to Nembhard. He came to Gonzaga as a guy who hadn't shot the three very well throughout his collegiate career. And then in his first six or seven games, he was great. He was shooting over 40%. He seemed to kind of put to rest this concern about Gonzaga needing more outside shooters. And then it's gone away. It's kind of vanished. And and I've said on this podcast multiple times, I I believe that Gonzaga is a bad three-point shooting team that occasionally masquerades as a adequate or good three-point shooting team. I still believe that to be generally true. Bolden is a player that I think could turn it around to the point where he looks more more like a good three-point shooter. I think he, he shot 36% as a freshman at Penn State, so it's not like he has never been a good shooter. Uh, Andrew Nembhard, we'll talk about him a little bit later, he's never shot over 35% from three in a season. Bolton has done it. So there is some belief that maybe he can turn this thing around and be a better outside shooter. They really need him to be for multiple reasons. Gonzaga not having a threat from the outside has allowed opposing defenses to really just bottle up Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. They can, they can adequately guard them even when they're trying to run the high-low offense because they can just sink down and force Gonzaga's shooters to shoot. And Gonzaga has been taking the bait, been shooting a lot of threes, and they're not making them. And that's been the whole problem. Not the whole problem. That's been a big part of the problem the last few games. If Bolton can capably knock down shots, that forces the defense to come out on him. Then he's got two options. He can either then make an entry pass, which is what Gonzaga wants, is to get Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren the basketball within six feet of the rim, or he can dribble drive. And he's really good at that. Like really good, borderline elite at dribble drives, getting to the basket, finishing through contact, getting fouled, going to the free throw line. Those are things he's really good at. And we haven't seen him do that a lot lately, in part because opposing defenses have just been sagging way back, just funneling all of their defensive players under the rim, which allows, which doesn't allow Gonzaga's guards to drive. It doesn't allow Drew Timmy space to do what he wants to do. And the only real legitimate often, options offensively are to take outside shots. If he starts knocking them down, changes the whole equation. So I believe Texas Tech's going to try a lot of the same stuff that Duke tried, that Alabama tried, that Tarleton State tried. And if they do, Bolton's ability to hit from the outside will force them to have to change what they're doing defensively, which is good news for Gonzaga. This next question comes from EA Stone 17 on Twitter. He says, Chet averages six blocks a game through WCC play. Wow, that is really hot. Way too hot. Averages six per game. So that means that he would have to, any game that he had less than six, he'd have to get seven, eight, nine, ten in other contests to make up for that. Yes, the WCC has some size issues. Yes, BYU was one of the few teams that had the size to match up with the Zags, and they've lost both of their big men to season-ending injuries or in Richard Harward's situation, unfortunately, a heart problem, which is very tragic. I hope that he (laughs) recovers and is able to, you know, feel better going forward in his life, but unfortunately he's not going to play for BYU this year. But for Chet to average six blocks a game, I mean, he would have to have probably multiple 10 block games. He would never, he couldn't have any, very few games below three. 
So he just couldn't have an off night blocking shots. This isn't a guy who plays 35 minutes a night. This is a guy who plays, you know, 25-ish minutes per night. If he gets in foul trouble, he's going to play closer to 22, 20 minutes per night. So it's just six, averaging six per game just leaves him very little wiggle room to have any games where he only blocks one or two. I don't see it happening. I think it's he could average four per game in, in, in the WCC. That would still be pretty hot, but I think it's possible for him to average upwards of four. He's going to have some really nice games against the Portlands and the Pepperdines of the world where maybe he blocks eight and maybe he blocks nine. Maybe he does get to 10 in a game. I'm not sure I'm sold that he's going to do that at some point, but I think it's possible that he does. But averaging six is really, really hard to do, and I don't think that's going to happen. Next one comes from John via Gmail. He says, Nobody on this year's roster averages 30 minutes per game for the first time in the Mark Few era. So I didn't fact check that, but I trust John that that would be the first time that's ever happened. He goes on, he says, although Nemhart is currently averaging 31 minutes per game, he will fall below the 30 minutes mark due to Hickman earning more playing time with his solid play and due to Dom Harris coming back sometime in late January for the last month of the tournament. So I'll break this up into a few spots. Uh, I'm not sold that Dom Harris is coming back in late January. That's really early. Mark Few made it sound like he's got a long ways to go when he was asked about it a few week, or last week. Now, we know Dom's got the boot off. That's great news. That means he's making some progress. Hopefully the next time we hear from Mark Few, he'll have a more firm timeline on when that's going to happen. But I did not get the impression, based on the way Few talked, that we're that we're we're envisioning Dom being back in late January. I thought it would be late February, if at all, this season. However, Gonzaga having nobody average 30 minutes per night is something I think could happen. Nembhard being at 31, falling below 30, definitely could happen for the exact reason you listed of Nolan Hickman. Nolan Hickman has been so good in the role that he has played this year. There is no real argument for not playing him more. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to come at Nembhard's expense. It could come at Julian Strother's expense. It could come at Rasier Bolton's expense. It could come in the form of Julian Strother playing more minutes at the four, Gonzaga playing more three-guard lineups, and less of Anton Watson or Chet Holmgren or Drew Timmy or some combination of all of those guys playing a few less minutes so Gonzaga can run more of those small ball four lineups, which I am in favor of. I have said that multiple times on this show. But regardless, Hickman needs to play more minutes. And if that were to happen, Nemhard losing just one minute per game, if that's all that he loses, would be enough for him to fall below 30 minutes per game. I don't think anybody else is going to climb up over 30 minutes per game. Uh, obviously, Drew Timmy is the next player who who could play 30 minutes per night, but he gets in foul trouble periodically. They have enough depth with Anton Watson, with Chet Holmgren, of course, and with Ben Gregg and Caden Perry, who I think we'll see more of in-conference play. And of course, uh, if they play more of those small ball lineups, we'll see less of Drew Timmy as well. So I don't think this is crazy. I think this actually could happen. It's surprising. I wouldn't have guessed it before the season that Andrew Nembhard and Drew Timmy aren't going to play 30 minutes per night, that Rasir Bolton's not going to play 30 minutes per night. But now looking at it at this point, looking at the numbers right now, going into conference play with the way Hickman's been playing, with the way that Hunter Salas has been playing, he's probably going to earn more minutes too. And those last five minutes of of games against Portland and Pepperdine and, and you know, San Diego and, and Pacific and teams like that, we will see less of those guys. Now, we'll see probably a fair amount of Hickman because I think I think Mark is going to want to play him uh, in those situations, but I doubt we'll see Nembhard. I doubt we'll see Timmy. So it would not surprise me if that actually ends up becoming a situation where we don't have a player average over 30 minutes per night, which is surprising considering Mark Few's tendency to overwork his uh, his veteran guys. 
The last one for this segment, a third one from our friend EA Stone, Eric Stoneburner on Twitter. He says, Andrew Nemard shoots 50% from three for the rest of the season. Holy. So I, <laughs> I created a new category for this here. I call it nuclear. This is way, way too hot. I think I would have said a similar thing had this number been 40%. I don't know that I would have coined nuclear for 40%, but I would have called that way too hot. Here is the deal. Andrew Nemhard has not ever been a good three-point shooter. He is great in a lot of ways, and I don't want to just pile on Nemhard, who has heard a lot of criticism in the last few weeks after the UCLA game. Uh, he hasn't played particularly well since then, and it's been a, you know, a, a point of conversation amongst the Gonzaga uh, fan base about his performance, about Nolan Hickman's performance. I think Nembhardt is going to rebound. I think he's going to have a really solid performance in the WCC. I think he's still going to be one of the best point guards in the country by the time the season ends. I really do believe he's going to rebound. But he's not a good three-point shooter. And players don't dramatically improve as three-point shooters in the middle of a season. It just doesn't happen. That improvement would have needed to happen over the offseason. And I bet he worked really hard at it. I bet he took a lot of threes. Every basketball player takes a lot of shots in the offseason. It's what they do. But at the end of the day, like you're just capped somewhat by your limitations as a basketball player. He's not a great outside shooter. He was a 32.3% three-point shooter last year for the Zags. He's under 27% this season. He was... I think the highest he's ever been was just under 35%. He's never shot 35% from three. Him having a, whatever it is, 17, 18, 19, 19-ish game stretch of shooting over 50% is just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. He, he's not that good of an outside shooter. I think what I would like to see from Andrew Nemhard is more, more of that aggression in the pick-and-roll game, more looking for his shot in the mid-range, more looking for his shot getting to the basket, trying to draw contact, getting to the free-throw line more you know intensity defensively which he's kind of backed away from not just him the whole team has seemed to kind of shift away from the the intense pressure they used to put on uh, other teams defensively but I don't want to shoot, see Nembhard shooting more from the outside I want to see him shooting less from the outside I want to see the whole guard rotation collectively settle less for outside shots and try to be more aggressive about getting to the rim or getting the ball into the big men's hands now obviously if Nembhard goes one for two from three for the rest of the season Technically, Eric here would be correct, and I would be quite happy about that, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he does need to shoot sometimes. He needs to make the defense respect him, but at the end of the day, he's probably not going to be more than a 33 34% three-point shooter. Hopefully for the rest of the year, he's up closer to 35 36 to even it out since he's been very bad to start the season, but I would be very surprised if he shoots even over 40% for the rest of the year. All right, two segments down, talking listener submitted hot takes. We're going to continue to do Andy Locks going forward this season. I really I really enjoy it. I hope you all enjoy it too. Please get me those listener submitted hot takes whenever you're thinking of them. Tag them Andy Locks and I'll get them into the show. We're going to come back in the third segment with a handful of more listener submitted takes. Before we get there though, let's talk about today's sponsor Boost Mobile. You listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. Because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone so you can listen to all the latest episodes. The power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line so your family can harness all that brain power too. And the power of one of America's largest 5G networks so you can do it all at the speed of 5G. With all that money you'll save and all that knowledge you'll gain, just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile now and find out. 
Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. Boost Mobile. The free phone is limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions do apply. Offers coverage not available everywhere or on all phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for more details. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking listener submitted hot takes for Andy Locks ahead of Gonzaga's big game against Texas Tech on Saturday morning. This next take comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, the WCC gets one bid. Oregon Swoon has left the resume shakier than thought. BYU will succumb to front court injuries. Nobody will beat Gonzaga and LMU. Santa Clara and USD will pick up enough wins against the three contenders to spoil the party. One bid is too hot. I, I understand wanting to play a little bit of the negative card. Uh, there are some holes in everybody's resume outside of Gonzaga in terms of making the NCAA tournament. I understand that, but there's I, I have a really hard time imagining only only the WCC being a one-team league. The WCC has earned enough of a sterling reputation as a basketball conference. I know we see the naysayers all the time, but the majority of people who follow college basketball, including the committee who makes these decisions, recognizes the WCC as one of the best non-Power 6 conferences in the country. They recognize that. They know that this conference is up is, is better than it's been in the past, that it's a legitimate basketball conference and that they've been playing well. So I just I think the reputation alone wouldn't allow them to only put one team in. Also, we're just straight. I know you mentioned nobody will beat Gonzaga. There's a there's a good chance that somebody beats Gonzaga in the WCC championship. That could happen, which automatically makes them a two bid. But the the thought of BYU and St. Mary's not getting in, I could see two. I could see two, and whoever finishes third is going to sweat it out a little bit, most likely, depending on how things shake out. Uh, San, you know, Santa Clara, LMU, USD, Pacific, all those teams are good enough to steal a couple victories now and then. But I really don't think this is going to be. I think it's going to be a three bid league. I'm not sure who's going to who's going to not make it. But at this point right now, all all four of these teams are in the top 50 in net rating. They're all most of them are in the top 40 for net rating, and that's you know that's something that the committee uses. There's a long time between now and March. I understand that, and the the schedules for these teams aren't going to get better because they're, you know, they're playing, they're going to play a lot of not so good teams in the WCC. And if they lose to Gonzaga, if they lose, you know, if if USF loses to BYU or St. Mary's, it's going to challenge them because they're not going to have these big wins to necessarily pick it up. But I cannot imagine there only being one team in the WCC. That would be shocking, like shocking. All of those teams would have to collectively really struggle, like really struggle. Like Santa Clara would have to be borderline the number two team in the conference for one of those teams to, if, if either, if any of those teams play Gonzaga in the WCC championship, 
If BYU or St. Mary's plays in that game, which it's almost always been the case, they will make the NCAA tournament. It might be it. might just be two, but it's not going to be one. That's That would be a an abomination from the selection committee if that ended up being the reality. I think the other thing that's not getting talked about here enough, um, it's easy to look at these these teams specifically and say, well, the resume may not be that strong, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the rest of the college basketball landscape, there are not a lot of teams. There, there are a lot of bad teams. There are a lot of bad Power 5 teams out there. The Pac-12 looks really messy right now. You have three great teams in UCLA, USC, Arizona. The rest of the conference is bad, 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 bad. The, the ACC looks bad. Like, so, so there are, there are these, these conferences that are used to getting five, six teams in automatically, seven teams automatically. It's not going to happen this year. The Pac-12 is not going to get six teams just gifted a spot in the NCAA tournament. They're not good enough. They're probably going to get four. They might get five, maybe, but they're not going to get the amount that they normally get. Same with the ACC. That So that opens up more spots. And for, for a WCC that has gotten so much attention for how good they've been, for a San Francisco team that's 12-0 and 0 on the season, like that is going to carry over. People are going to remember that. Even if San Francisco drops a game to a Santa Clara later in the year or whatever, and they drop, let's say they drop both to BYU, both to Gonzaga, one to St. Mary's, that's five losses. They drop one to Santa Clara, San Diego, six losses. Yeah, that probably puts them on the outside, but they're going to still be right on that line. And if they beat BYU or St. Mary's in Vegas and they play Gonzaga in the championship, they're still probably in that conversation, even if they're a six-loss team, which leads me to my next take from John via Gmail. He says, Gonzaga has not played USF in the finals of the WCC tournament since 1998. In that game, USF won 80 to 67. So in March of 2022, Gonzaga will beat USF in the finals of the WCC tournament for the first time ever. Hell yeah, man. I like this a lot. I think it's very possible. I talked at length on WCC Wednesday about USF's size, their physicality, how well coached they are, that how great of an outside shooting team they are, and how that could be a recipe for trouble against Gonzaga. A lot of those things apply to how they're going to match up well against BYU and St. Mary's. St. Mary's has the size to handle San Francisco's size. Like that's kind of a wash there. But St. Mary's, while they're a good defensive team, they are susceptible to the long ball. And if and if USF shoots it really well from the outside, which they're like a almost 40% shooting team on the season, if they shoot it really well from the outside, that's going to be trouble for St. Mary's. And against BYU, they have a lot of size. And BYU is down there two big men right now. BYU cannot shoot from the outside. If San Francisco racks it up from beyond the arc and their big men, you know, get, get a lot of boards. If, they, if USF shoots 40% from three and out-rebounds BYU, they're going to win. They're going to win. Like they're just they're, there's very little way that those two things happen in the game, and they don't come across with a victory. So Gonzaga playing USF in the championship seems very believable to me. If that happens, USF has a really good chance of securing themselves a spot in the NCAA tournament for the first time in a really, really long time. This next one comes from Christian. Similar topic. He says USF finishes the WCC regular season in second place. It's, it's a USF party. We're, we're partying, talking about the Dons for this episode. For the record, I have said this on the show before. My younger sister went to USF. I've been to that campus multiple times. I have gone to a lot of games there. I, they're my second team in the conference. And I worked at UP for three years, but USF is still my second team in this conference. Even if I have vivid memories of Gonzaga never winning at the Hilltop 
at War Memorial Gym when I was in college. They always, Gonzaga always lost on the road to USF. Those were some really good teams back then. Dior Lohorn, Angelo Calario, lots of really talented players on those rosters. But this is the best USF team I've ever seen. They are incredible. Jamari Bouye is a freaking stud. 20 points per game, about five and a half rebounds, four assists, shooting 50-something percent from three. Remarkable, all-American caliber season from Bouye. He's not going to get those recognitions most likely at the end of the year, which is disappointing because he probably deserves them. Extremely talented player. Gabe Stefanini, Khalil Shabazz, great players. This is a really good, balanced team. They're going to be really good this year. They already are really good this year. I don't know if they'll make the NCAA tournament. I mentioned that if they do drop one or two of those games, uh, that it's going to be a problem. But this team is a lot better than some of those other teams in the conference. Like we're used to Santa Clara and LMU and San Diego kind of stealing victories from some of these teams. But there's a there's a spread right now. Like US, I'm not saying that they can't lose. That it's that they're impenetrable. They are that is not true. But they are bigger, stronger, more physical, better shooting than every team in the conference outside of Gonzaga and BYU St. Mary's. Even then, they're kind of pretty even with them. There's a divide between these top four teams and the rest of the teams in the conference. Doesn't mean that they're not going to get any victories against those top four teams. But it's not as easy as it's been in the past. All right, last question of the show comes from Jacob Quarter Two. Started and ended the show with his takes. This one. He says, with Vandersloot's number retired, and rightfully so, the next jersey to be retired will be Dan Dickow. And he says, if you do not think so, who do you think it would be? So I think it should be Dan Dickow. I'll say that. Um, I think Dan is a great pick. Uh, He's the first big-time transfer, obviously, came from Washington to come to Gonzaga. That was very unheard of at the time. It is less unheard of now, obviously. Um, He was this, you know, this All-American, first All-American in his program history. And he, he bridged the gap. You know, Gonzaga made this run in 1999. They went to the Elite Eight. Dan Monson left. Mark Few came over. So many programs have had this level of success. We've seen schools since then go have these runs to the Elite Eight, have these runs to the Final Four, and then vanish. George Mason went to a Final Four, and they have not been heard of again. Wichita State had went to an Elite Eight, or went to a Final Four, had a really nice season after that, and has kind of faded since then. Butler's not relevant anymore on the basketball landscape. Like, this is not that uncommon. Florida Gulf Coast, Virginia Commonwealth. Like, we can keep going. There's a lot of teams that this has happened to. And Gonzaga, in part, Mark Few, hiring Mark Few was obviously a brilliant decision and has paid off more handsomely than almost any head coaching hire of the last, you know, ever, really. But the reason that they stayed successful is because they got Dan Dickow. They got him to come over from the University of Washington. He came in, he was immediately an All-American. He bridged the gap, and then they got Blake Stepp, then they got Adam Morrison, and then you know the, things took off from there in a ways that were inconceivable at the time. But Dan was that bridge. And the fact that he is still involved with the program, he's obviously still a broadcaster. We see him, we hear him basically every single game. He's at every home game. He lives in Spokane. He like he owns a barber shop in the city. Like he he epitomizes Gonzaga in ways that so few others have. The only other ones who have are hanging in the rafters. It's John Stockton and Adam Morrison. They're the only two that have really done that. Sloot was the right choice, unquestionably for this next person to have her jersey retired. And I'm so happy they finally figured out a way to get her to be there, to have this celebration, to honor her, because she's extraordinary. If they're going to do another one, it should be Dan. Now, if I'm not mistaken, 
they wear the same jersey number, so it'll be 21. I'll be retired for both the men's team and the women's team, which is great. I'm also not a super strong advocate, and we need to retire a bunch more jerseys. I don't think that we need to do that. I think that the ones that we have up now, including Vandersloos, are the three correct ones. Frank Burgess, Adam Morrison, John Stockton, Courtney Vandersloos. Those are the correct choices to have up there. I don't know that we need a lot more because then you start to get into the the weeds of like, well, why this person, not this person? Dan, to me, is a step above the one, the other ones that there could be. We could talk about Roni Turiaf. We could talk about Kelly Olenek. We could talk about Nigel Williams-Goss. We could talk about Shemek Karnowski. Like, there are tons, and, and tons more, tons of people that I did not just name on both the men's side and the women's side. But you start to get into the, like, why this person, why not this person? Dan, to me, because of his, the timing, because of him bridging that gap, bringing Gonzaga from a little-known school that won, that had one really nice run to, hey, they've had multiple nice runs in the NCAA tournament. Now they're a legitimate player, a legitimate powerhouse in college basketball. He's part of the reason that that happened, a big part, and he's still involved. So for me, yes, Dickow's the right choice. I wouldn't pick anybody else. I think after that, you kind of run the risk of of, of <laughs> alienating some people if you don't pick the right people. So I would I would say Dan and then done, or just be done with where you are right now. Either way, I think is totally fine with me, but I don't think that there's anybody else I would pick over Dan Dickow. All right. Thank you again for indulging the Andy Locke segment. I always have a blast with these. I hope that you guys enjoy them as well. I got a fun guest coming on the show for Friday, previewing the Texas Tech Red Raiders. It's going to be a really, really fun game. Saturday morning, get your coffee out. 10 a.m. in Phoenix. It's going to be a super good game. Excited to chat with you all during that game. And then, of course, come back next week for Mailbag Monday. All right here, Locked on Zags, available wherever you get podcasts, soon to be available on YouTube. Podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my personal Twitter account, which if you do not follow me, you can find me on Twitter at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. It's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.